At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Finding ways for her to just bathe her baby. You know, like those are the things that like, people talk about when I'm working. And then in my everyday life, people are like, oh, I want to start a multi-million dollar business and I want to travel the world and I want to eat all this yummy food and I want to go out to restaurants and have fun with my family and go to Disney World. And just like, it's so crazy how vastly different it is. And what is the, what is the, um, the difference between the two lives of these, these populations? And that's health, right? And so it always reminds me, I like bring up this quote so often that like a healthy person has like a million dreams and a sick or dying person has one. And that is to be healthy. And so I always say like, life is too short to suffer. And the antidote to that suffering is our lifestyle and our mindset. And that your health is the primary vehicle to every single dream and wish and want that you have in life. And so you need to fuel that first. You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 268. Welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. I am your host, Dr. Yami, board certified pediatrician, certified lifestyle medicine physician, certified health and wellness coach, author, speaker, mother, wife, and human being. I passionately believe in the power of diet, habits, and mindset in sparking and sustaining well-being and joy in our lives. This podcast combines expert interviews and thoughtful monologues to explore plant-based nutrition, lifestyle medicine, parenting, mindset, and other exciting and fun topics. I hope that these episodes inspire you, uplift you, and equip you with the knowledge and tools to live your best life. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. Veggie lovers, y'all, I have an amazing episode for you. I know I say that every time because it's it's kind of true. There's a lot of great episodes on this show, but this one, you're 
you just have to listen to this episode. You're probably going to want to listen to it more than once. There's so many beautiful gems, so many beautiful lessons. It. I just finished interviewing Dr. Malrota and I have so much beautiful energy inside me, this positive feeling. So I know you're going to love it. I do want to remind you that the information on this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. It is not meant to replace careful evaluation and treatment. And if you have concerns about you or your child's eating nutrition or growth, please consult a healthcare professional. So let me talk to you about Dr. Simran Malhrota. So she is a triple board certified physician in internal medicine hospice and palliative care and lifestyle medicine. So she completed the T. Colin Campbell plant-based nutrition certificate in 2019, the chef culinary coaching certification in 2020, and she's a Well Coaches certified coach. On a personal note, she is a proud mama of plant-powered babies, and she is a BRCA1 previvor with a strong family history of breast and female reproductive cancers. She underwent a risk-reducing bilateral mastectomy and total hysterectomy in 2020, and she is passionate about educating women at high risk for cancer with or without genetic mutations on the powerful impact that positive lifestyle changes can have on their quality of life and even longevity. So this episode is a little bit unique just because Dr. Malhotra is, she just has so many different experiences, both personally and professionally. There's just, there was a lot to talk about and a lot to pull from. I will definitely have her back on the podcast again because she is writing a book. Good news for us because we're going to have a wonderful book to read. But in this episode, we talk about her plant-based journey, what prompted her to transition to a plant-based diet and how that went, how it's affected her family and her relatives, about raising plant-based children, how she's been navigating that with her two littles, about her career and how she combines lifestyle medicine with palliative care, how her experiences with hospice and palliative care have influenced her desire to learn more about lifestyle medicine. And then we talk about her journey as a cancer previvor, getting her genetic mutation diagnosis and all that she went through with that. We talk about the lessons that she's learned of being an end of life doctor. Wow. I'm telling you this episode, I just got chills and goosebumps and I teared up. It, and it's so many different emotions. She has so many amazing things to say, and you're going to, you're going to leave this feeling really good you're probably going to want to listen to it more than once. So thank you so much for clicking on this episode, for listening, for being here, for having the time and space in your life to dedicate to yourself, to fill yourself up with positivity, to take care of yourself. Because as you take care of yourself, you are able to open up that heart center. You're able to let all that joy and radiance and love flow through to all of your fellow human beings, your friends, your family, all the people on this planet Earth. I know this is big concept stuff, but this episode, it calls for that. So I hope you love this episode. If you do, let me know. Leave a comment where you're listening to this at or in socials or on YouTube, wherever you are hearing and feeling this energy. I'd love to know what you think. Thank you so much, veggie lovers, for being here. And now let's welcome Dr. Simran Malhotra. 
Dr. Simran Malhotra. Welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. Thanks, Dr. Yami. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, so we have wanted to do this for a while. And of course, life has its own plans sometimes. So lots yep. of stuff. One of my favorite one of my favorite quotes is if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But you know, it's an adventure, right? And we're having fun. So I'm glad we're finally here together getting to chat. And let's start at the beginning. I want to hear about your plant-based journey, why and when you made a transition to eating a plant-based diet. So I feel like most people in the lifestyle medicine world, um, I came to plant-based nutrition after I became the patient. Um, in 2015, I was 26 years old and uh, come from a long line of women who had cancer and basically found out that I carried the BRCA1 genetic mutation. Um, so for your listeners, if you're familiar with Angelina Jolie, um, it's the mutation she found out she had, um, and it radically increases your risk of breast and ovarian cancer and some other cancers. So at that point, I became the patient and I was, I'm also a, a palliative care physician. So I was also caring for people with advanced cancers. Um, and that was probably one of the scariest times of my life. Cause it's almost like I could see my future in a way. Cause some of the patients I was taking care of was very, very young. Um, so for me, it was like, I was going to the doctors and they were talking about surgeries and they were talking about medications and getting my kids out of the way and like doing all the things I needed to do in a very short period of time. And for me, it was like, but what else can I do outside of, you know, all the things you're talking about, what can I do in my everyday life? to reduce my risk of cancer. And at that point it was just crickets. Like nobody had anything to share except you have a genetic mutation. So there's really not much you can do in terms of your lifestyle that's gonna help. Um, and for me, that just wasn't enough. Um, and I had this one patient, like she, she, I talk about her a lot because she was really the, like the fuel that, like led me to want to figure out a way. Um, and she was a young lady in her forties with advanced ovarian cancer. Um, and I was taking care of her while I was in, uh, working in hospice. Um, and she found out a few days before she passed that she, her and I both carried the BRCA1 mutation. She also had children at the time I was about to get married. Um, and she basically said like, Simran, you know, this doesn't have to be you. Like there is something out there that you can do to reduce your risk and you just need to figure out what it is. And that, like, I just like get goosebumps every time I talk about her, but um, that was like just a few days after that, I think I picked up How Not to Die by Dr. Michael Greger, which I'm sure you're familiar with that book. And that book just completely changed the rest of my life. Like the last seven years, it started with that book. Um, and as we, you know, we went 2015, we got married. We were like, I'm Indian. So we ate a typical American South Asian diet. My husband's French Canadian. So he ate more meat potatoes diet growing up. Um, and at that point we were just like, you know, let's just do a challenge. Like it was, I think we said 30 days, let's just go vegetarian. Let's just try it. Um, and we did. And then I never went back and he was more of a vegetarian at home and ate whatever at the hospital or at work or whatever. Um, and then slowly, like 
what we did was it was very slow. Like we said, okay, we made a list of all our favorite foods, right? Um, like pastas and different types of pizzas and like whatever. And we slowly looked for plant-based alternatives to our favorite foods. Um, and that's how we slowly transitioned to until 2018. So I became, basically became vegetarian and learned how to cook. That was helpful. Um, and 2018, I was pregnant with my second baby. Um, and I picked up another book, um, The Cheese Trap by Dr. Neil Barnard. Um, and one of the things that was like very, uh, very special to me on my journey. Um, and, uh, you know, when we talk about the, the, the BRCA piece in a bit. I'll, I'll talk more about this, but one of the things that was really special to me was breastfeeding. Um, I was, I was hoping before I had children that I would be able to nurse my children. I, I, I don't feel that that's the only way fed is best for sure. But for me, it was just very special because I knew that I was going to get a preventative mastectomy. And so for me, it was like, that was how I bonded with my kids even more and, and, and nursing them I, I did it uneventfully. It was a beautiful experience for both of them. But when I picked up that book, when I was nursing my second baby, and for the first time in my life, I like realized that the cow's milk that we're drinking is the milk that the mama cow is making for her baby cow. And like in that moment, like as soon as I read it, I had this visceral reaction because I was still nursing my second baby. And I went to my husband, and I'm like, we're done. Like we're never drinking cow's milk. We're never having any more dairy. Like, can you imagine somebody coming and taking Sage and like ripping him away from me? And I mean, I get all emotional talking about this because it's like just the idea of it was like so visceral that I never, we never touched dairy. I never touched dairy again after that. <laughs> and we became vegan. <laughs> so <laughs> that's that. Wow. No, I got full body chills and I started tearing up. You're not the only guest that's had that reaction during breastfeeding. I've had other guests who have said it happened to them. They made the connection during that time because it is, it's such a thing like whenever we have kids, it's not until we have children that we experience that feeling of like, I will kill for you. Like th there is yes. nothing that will stop me from protecting you. Like nothing on this freaking planet, you know? And so Absolutely. once you have your children, it's, it, you feel differently. And then you can start yeah. empathizing with even these non-human animals that probably feel the exact same way, right? Yeah. Because they also have this instinct to protect their child and to do whatever they can to help their offspring. So, so yeah, you're not the only Absolutely. one, but even hearing you say that and seeing your, your face, like my full body was like, yes, I, I completely understand you. Wow. That's so powerful. Yeah. All right. Well, I definitely, I want to go back because I know that your journey with the mutation has been very powerful as well, but I want to take a step further into your plant-based journey. Uh, obviously your husband has been brought along on this journey with you, but tell me about your children. Tell me about your extended family. How has your way of eating affected everybody? I think one of the most beautiful things that came out of just the, just the transition to plant-based eating was the ripple effect. 
And this was even before we had kids. So my husband, I'll give you his story. Uh, my husband, when we met, I guess now, well, like 11 years ago, uh, 12 years ago, um, he's an intensivist. So he works in the ICU, very high stress. His, his call schedule is insane. Um, he works a lot. Um, so when we first met, um, he was 20 pounds heavier. Uh, he was borderline um, hypertensive, borderline high cholesterol, like he was creeping up there, basically. Um, and when we first met, he actually, like three or four months after we met, he got admitted to the hospital. Um, and I, I hope it's okay with me with <laughs> sharing this story. I'm not sure if I actually shared this story before, but I'm just going to do it. I think it's fine. I've been doing this long. I've done enough podcasts now that his name comes up. So you know, he'll be fine with it. But basically, he got admitted to the hospital. Um, and this is like, we just met. Okay. And he had severe abdominal pain and, um, we both were very scared, um, because we saw the CAT scan and like, he, he, there was a lot, of, he was constipated. So there was a lot of poop there, but like right around the cecum, like in the intestine, there was what looked like a mass. So for us, we both freaked out. I mean, he was 34 years old at the time. Um, and they went in, they did an EGD, um, endoscopy from above and a colonoscopy from below. Um, and thank God in the end, he was just severely constipated. Wow. Like, can you imagine? Like he was so constipated that like he was having like severe abdominal pain, severe nausea. He was like, it was just so bad to the point where he had to be admitted to the hospital at 34 years old. Um, and this was, this was a, as a result of like many things, right? Like he, he was just really doesn't drink any water. He was mostly eating food outside or at the hospital. Um, and you know, he was working all the time. He's very stressed. He doesn't really sleep because he gets called in the middle of the night. So all those things basically probably were contributing to that. So then like what a year later, whatever, I get my diagnosis and then uh, with the genetic mutation and then basically slowly start going through Dr. Greger's book and slowly start, we start changing our diet, vegetarian and then more plant-based. And then like basically up like a, a few years later, we ended up looking into like life insurance and those sorts of things. So we knew he had all these issues, um, but we got our life insurance stuff done and now his blood pressure is normal his cholesterol is normal. And then we look back and we're like, wow, you've lost a lot of weight. And like, he wasn't, he didn't change anything else. He didn't change his call schedule. He didn't change, um, exercise. He didn't, he didn't exercise. He didn't add, you know, mindfulness. He only changing the way we were eating. And within a year, year and a half span, he had dropped almost 15 to 20 pounds his blood pressure was pristine. His cholesterol was pristine. Um, and actually all of that even got better to the point where we got like, like, in, like better rates on our life insurance premiums down the road. It was just like, he was just so shocked. He was just like, wow. Like he had, he didn't even do any work. Cause I was doing all the work and he was like, <laughs> and he was just like, I have to interrupt. I don't, I don't interrupt my guests, but I have to, because I'm laughing so hard over here that you're like, I can see in your face. You're like, y'all literally, he didn't do anything. He was not being mindful. He's still working all the time. Still stressed out. Okay. <laughs> That's how we talk pooping. about our husbands. Like he was pooping. Oh my God. Like, like, abdominal pain gone everything gone like I was just like oh my god and we didn't even like this was just 
changing our diet. And it, we weren't even, we weren't even whole food plant-based vegan at this point. Like that's how wild it was. And, and the part that blew my mind was like, I remember, like, I specifically remember the day he was discharged from the hospital. The doctor came and sat on his, um, on his bed. And she was like, you know, she looked at both of us. She was like, you know, this, this career in medicine, it's really hard. It's really hard. And, you know, you have to stay on top of it. And so she literally gave him two bottles. She gave him an antidepressant and an anti-anxiety pill and, and laxatives. And she was like, it's just better to like stay on top of it. And I was like, this is on top of it. Like looking back at that moment, like obviously he didn't do any of that stuff, but like looking back, I was just like, wow, you know? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Oh man, I hope not. I hope that in order for us to stay in medicine, we don't all have to be on an antidepressant, anxiolytic, and a laxative just right. to make it through. That's so sad. Right. <laughs> it is so sad. And that's like, you know, it goes back to, I mean, just why you and I are doing what we're doing to change the narrative, um, not just for people in the community who don't, you know, who don't know any better because they're, they don't have the education, but also for our own people within the healthcare field who don't understand that the root cause of, you know, anxiety and constipation and depression and, you know, stress is our lifestyle, is our, is the food that we eat is, you know, the things that we consume. So it's, it's just been such a incredible thing to look back and see like, my husband, it, you know, every time someone sees him, like they don't guess that he's 44. Like they all think he's way younger than he is. Um, and he's doing great. Um, I, we're still working on all the other pillars of lifestyle, but he has his food down and he's proud of it now too. Like when he talks about it he's like, this is how it helped me. Like this stuff works. Um, and, and he goes on to say like, look, you don't have to deprive yourself. Like we still eat pizza we make it at home or we eat out but like there's still you could still enjoy all the things I eat burgers I eat all the things that I love to eat but most of the time we eat at home and we eat you know whole foods and then we have our fun foods when we go out and, and go to the party or whatever but um, his story has just been amazing and then of course my mom is like you know she's a two-time breast cancer survivor so for her when I was able to she's always been vegetarian but giving up dairy and really going whole food plant-based. I mean, she dropped almost like 35, 40 pounds, I think. Um, and just for me, that's amazing. Cause that, you know, obesity is one of the greatest risk factors for breast cancer and breast cancer recurrence. So for her, it's a gift yeah. uh, for her future health and life. So wow. she's doing amazing. Yeah. That's so powerful. So. And I just want to reemphasize for the listeners that one of the reasons Dr. Malhotra was saying what she was saying about her husband is because it just emphasizes and highlights the power of food because it's so hard for many of us to understand that food is so powerful, both in the beneficial way and in the potentially risky way. We forget that it's so powerful and that it doesn't take having to go all in a hundred percent and being like feeling like you're deprived or feeling like you're missing out on stuff, start making steps towards that direction. And you're going to see how powerful it is. Um, about your mom, I'm just curious because you're saying that she's South Indian, correct? What was it like with her chain getting off the dairy? Because there's so much 
butter and cheese and creamy, delicious food in the Indian culture. How, so, how did she do with that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the hardest part for her was um, giving up oil. And she still does, I think, because we tried to really go whole food plant-based. So like her and I really learned how to cook without oil. And um, that was kind of the hardest part of her journey because she was never huge on dairy. But the thing is like, she loves pizza. Like this woman loves pizza. Okay. Um, so we're trying to, you know, learn how to enjoy pizza without dairy cheese um, was I think probably the biggest thing for her. And then, you know, within um, our world, like, we eat a lot of what we call paneer, which is like, um, you know, made from dairy. Um, so learning how to swap that for tofu. And I mean, she has, she eats a lot of whole food soy now, which um, she makes some incredible. So butter, there's butter chicken, right? That's like a very famous Indian dish that you eat out at, at the restaurant. So she like, literally, I need her to like bottle this sauce and sell it to the world because like, she's doing a disservice that people cannot eat this, this, this sauce. Like she made a butter tofu sauce with, um, and and she basically it's it tastes the exact same as butter chicken but like it is so incredible and like she makes it with like pretty much all whole food ingredients like no heavy cream like none of that we make it with cashews and it's like oh my god it's so good so she her and i over the last uh i would say like three to four years we have gone in this culinary journey of learning how to you know make whole food plant-based indian food that tastes amazing. Um, and in our future is a cookbook. I'm so excited about it. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I hope I don't have to wait till the cookbook though, since, um, you oh, no. know, you, you, please, I, I need, I need to have worry. that sauce recipe. <laughs> I love, love, it's love so Indian food. So that sounds amazing. All right. Well, let's talk yes. about your kiddos then. So you have two oh, children yes. now. So are you raising them plant-based and what lessons have you learned as you navigate this value, this lifestyle change, and you're juggling a busy career? Yes. So my daughter's six. Um, my son is four and a half. Um, each of them actually have a 50% chance each of inheriting inheriting my mutation from me. So uh, nutrition has been something that we have valued and really focused on since they were born. Um, and the way that we do it is through role modeling. Cause one of my core beliefs is that, and this isn't just with kids, but like with anybody, mostly with kids, but with anybody that kids will do what you do and not what you say. Um, and it seems to work really well with my kids. So, um, you know, we don't give them broccoli and eat pizza. Like, we eat what they eat and they eat what we eat. And even at the restaurants, like we don't order off a kid's menu. Like they, they enjoy the meal with us, whatever it is that we um, order. So I think for me, uh, that's basically the biggest thing. And it's worked really well. Um, our kids have a immaculate palate, um, you know, seaweed and olives and walnuts. And, you know, uh, they eat, Kim, you know, kimchi. <laughs> interesting, interesting palette. So I think it is um, getting more challenging, though. Um, I think while they were home, and they didn't know anything else, it was much easier. Um, because that was all they knew. Um, but now and your book really helped me with this. Um, now it's like understanding that, you know, in our house, they're going to get 
you know, whatever they're going to get. And my job is to provide and show them, you know, like involve them in cooking and show them how it can be fun and all that stuff um, and put it on the table. And their job is to decide, you know, what and how much they're going to eat. And I have to like hold back the like deep rooted Indian side of me. That's like, finish your plate, you know, eat, eat everything, you know, that's really hard. And part of the reason that I struggle with it now and I didn't before is because now at school there's, birthday parties and they have cupcakes and they have, they, you know, they see what their friends are eating. And now my six-year-old's being asked, you know, why don't you eat bacon and why don't you do this and that? And, and she's really good. Like she, because part of it, it has been, we've had a conversation since they were babies about why we eat the things we eat and not just why we eat them, but how are they helpful to our body? And we talk about the animals and they you know, so we do all that, but still peer pressure is man, even at six, it's hard. Um, you know, so I think they're still plant-based at school. It's just, I do work a little bit harder, you know, for, I know when all the birthday parties are and all this stuff. So they do get vegan cupcakes and they get vegan pizza and they get all the stuff that the other kids get. Cause I really don't want them to feel uh, scarcity when it comes to our lifestyle. I want them to feel abundant and I want them to feel that they can eat everything that other kids eat. Um, and they can show them that it's fun to eat plants. Um, but I think it's been more challenging lately because those foods are, uh, calorically dense. Um, and so a lot of times, uh, when they come home, sometimes they're not really hungry for dinner and that can be hard because I'm like, Oh, you ate like two cupcakes at school today. Like, you know, so for me, I I, I'm trying really hard now to like focus on the big picture. Like, okay, 90% of the time they're eating really good things and the rest it's, it's okay. And I actually believe that everything that we're doing now, like the, the, the foundation that we're laying in their childhood is going to do two things. Number one, um, reduce their future adult onset, you know, blueprint of disease, but then also like create really strong roots. Cause as I'm learning in my thirties, I'm going back to so many things my parents taught me that I didn't think we're cool at the time, you know, but now I'm like, Oh, that's why they said that. Like that makes a lot of sense. Right. So they, they love it. I mean, eating the rainbow is a, is a very, um, very big quote in our house. Um, and my daughter is especially always like, we have a, um, like a chart in our house where they like try to see who can eat more colors every day. Um, it's kind of a game now, so they love it. I love that. Oh my gosh. Such, such good stories. And I love how you're sharing that. I just want to piggyback that with a couple of different experiences. You're talking about your kids at this age and it is anxiety provoking. Even before I was vegan, I already had anxiety about what my kids ate because, you know, as healthcare providers, we already feel like we want to do our the best for our kids. But I just remember as they grow up and letting them have a little bit looser reins and making their decisions and, you know, picking up my son from school one day and like literally his whole mouth was blue from eating a blue cupcake. And I could feel the anxiety in my chest, like, oh my God, like all that food dye and all this stuff. And, you know, you start like catastrophizing in your brain and just take deep breaths, just take deep breaths. I didn't say anything because I didn't want to demonize any food. Because really at the end of the day, you're right. 
what what yeah. we do the majority of the time is really what matters, not these little instances yeah. of blue cupcakes, you know, but you have yeah. to train yourself to hold back, take deep breaths and calm your nervous system down that it really is going to be okay. And then the second yeah. thing I wanted to share is my kids are older now. So I'm in a different stage than you are. My kids are 13 and 18. My oldest just decided what college he's going to. He's going to be going oh off in gosh. a few months. And you know, I've gotten super busy with my career. So it's good when they get older because they can take care of themselves. We've got our habits set. Everything's good. You don't have to worry so much about things. Everybody's on their path. And um, I probably got a little bit you know, didn't, wasn't involved enough. My older son had some retreats at his school and I just figured he would be taken care of. He's been at that school for four years. They'll have right. options. You know, he was going on retreat for a whole weekend. Well, when he came home and I always send him with snacks no matter what, but I didn't do my due diligence of making sure right. ahead of time that he would have a good substantial hot meal while he was there. So he just basically had like, you know, plant-based granola bars. But when he came home, he's like, yeah, basically all I ate was um, salad and Oreos because that's all there was that was like vegan. Everything else had meat in it, like like meat, not even just dairy. Because sometimes he'll flex for dairy if there's nothing else, you know? And I just got so upset about it. And yeah. I um, communicated with the school in, in a nice way because you have to be kind about yeah. these things because people just don't think yes. about it. And I was like, you know, he's been here for four years. My my next son is going to come in another year. Just want y'all to know, please remind parents, ask them if there's any special diets because my son just had salad and Oreos and that's not a yeah. healthy balanced diet. Well, what came out of that that was good is he had another mission trip like a few weeks later. One of the teachers that went on the trip with them decided she was going to go vegan for that week so that oh, she nice. could do it with him. And that there would be That's plenty amazing. of food. And so out of that experience, even though it was tough and I was upset and I was kind of like irritated at the school, it came out with some good stuff because I approached it with some patience and kindness and didn't just like yeah. blow up about the whole thing. So yeah. just know that these things are going to happen. And as your kids grow, they they have the skills, they develop it. They can also stand up for themselves too, you know, but good things can come out of it. Absolutely. And it's like, it really ignites like the curiosity mindset in other people. And like, it kind of like the ripple effect I was talking about earlier, like, it's been really amazing. I've appreciated my, my, my children's teachers so much because they're like, kind of staying ahead of it. Like, they'll let me know when there's something where, you know, can you bring in, you know, uh, a plant based alternative or whatever. But also like, the other day, they had an Easter egg hunt thing. And uh, they, she asked me to volunteer. So I came and like, she found these like plant-based cookies or whatever. And she like brought it and she's like, I really want to learn how to read the label with you. Like, can you show me so I can understand? And like, same thing in like my husband's family. Like when we go to Quebec to visit, like, you know, I won't say things, but like my daughter will go to her uncle and be like, Uncle Simon, is this vegan? <laughs> and so now, like over the years, over the last six years, like even when we go over, like we've seen such a change in like the way that the the foods that are in the house and the way that they're preparing for meals when we're there, like without me initiating anything, it's just natural. And like, and it's kind of cool because like they're 
loving the like side effects, you know, the happy side effects that are coming with the changes without anyone actually telling them to change. It's just, um, and I think kids have that fun playfulness about them. So they're actually great um, catalysts for change, I think. Yeah, they're disarming. They're not intimidating. They don't, it doesn't uh, cause that same reaction in adults that other adults do just by, just by us even just saying we're vegan people are all of a sudden defensive you know yes. but when it's a child it's it's different so it's kind of nice when children are able to approach that all right well let's shift gears okay. i want to talk now about your career how you have very interesting career and you have you know a triple board certification lots of different perspectives that you're bringing into your work so tell me how does lifestyle medicine align with hospice and palliative care? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, I think first to take a step back and say, like, what is palliative care versus hospice? Um, I think a lot of times the two are considered synonymous. Um, hospice is really end of life care um, for anyone, you know, um, living or dying rather with serious uh, illness. Um, and palliative care is for anybody who's living with a serious illness um, and also getting life prolonging treatment. Um, so really in an ideal world, anyone gets a diagnosis of heart failure or cancer or any sort of, you know, serious illness that changes the trajectory of someone's life should also be getting a palliative care consult. Um, uh, because what we do is we help address symptoms and we help address, you know, a, a bigger picture, um, of that person's life, um, to make sure that everything we're doing aligns with their goals and their values and what's most important to them in their life. Um, and so lifestyle medicine, I think, you know, many of your listeners probably know what it is, so we don't need to go into the details of it. But I, I find um, I kind of call myself the outcast of medicine because I'm interested in two fields of medicine that most people know nothing about. Um, so <laughs> um, I actually think they have a lot of overlap because, you know, both of them are newer fields. They're rapidly growing fields. Um, they both take a team interdisciplinary team based approach and they both are very holistic in the sense that they address not just the the whole person, but also like the community around the person. Right. Um, and both of them can be um, applied to somebody who has an illness that is also getting life prolonging or curative treatments. And ultimately, I think the goal of both fields is really to help people live their best lives, AKA like improve their quality of life. Um, I think the biggest thing that I've learned, and I, I, you know, again, a lot of this came out from when I became the patient. Um, I, uh, you know, I ended up in 2020 having a preventative mastectomy. And I know that's not the thing we're talking about right now, but, but I'm bringing this up because I ended up having a major complication after my surgery um, that left me basically uh, in a recliner for several days and weeks after my surgery. And I had to have my husband help me to the bathroom and I had, you know, take a shower, do all the things. And there was this one day because I had a, a top surgery and a bottom surgery, like I literally couldn't get up by myself. And so there was one day like, you know, my husband and everyone was downstairs and I couldn't get up and I really had to pee and he came upstairs and it was now dark um, and I had my phone near me and I was crying and it was just like it was such a tough moment in my life because it was like for the first time I like realized what some of my patients feel every single day um, and really made me realize like how important 
our lifestyle is like how important like just basic like strengthening and like all of that is in that moment right and so for me it was like after that I always since my diagnosis and after my surgeries I always wanted ways to empower myself to feel like I have more control over my life and over this disease or genetic mutation than I'm being led to believe. And that's what I found in my own practice too. And this is more before COVID because since COVID things have shifted a little bit, but before COVID I worked at a hospital with a very uh, big cancer population. So I, I worked with a lot of young cancer patients and I tell you like these patients were hungry. Like as soon as I would come and see these people, they're like, please just tell me anything I can do to like make this better. Like I have kids, I have a family, like I'm not ready to die. Um, you know? And so they were hungry, but at that moment, like I didn't really have anything to offer them that could help. And so when I read Dr. Greger's book and read his story about his grandmother, like my mind was like, what am I reading? Like I had to reread it three times to be like, so this woman was diagnosed with advanced heart failure and stage heart disease. She was sent home on hospice. I know what that is. When people go on hospice, they usually die. But instead she goes to California. She does this intensive lifestyle program, something lifestyle that I've never even heard about, lifestyle medicine. Um, and she reverses her heart disease and lives another 30 years. Like to me, that was mind blowing as a palliative care physician. I was like, what is this? And why don't I know about it? Because not one, not only can it help my patients quality of life, which is what I'm all about, but it can, maybe it can help them like, you know, slow the progression of their disease, or maybe it can help them like meet that milestone, like the graduation or the wedding or whatever it is that they're trying to make it to, like, maybe it can help them live a little bit longer. Right. And so that's where I realized like there's so much to offer my patients. And so in 2020, I got board certified in lifestyle medicine. And basically since then have just been trying and, and I'm like so close now, um, we're going to launch a, uh, a lifestyle medicine introduction to lifestyle medicine for our telehealth, um, palliative care telehealth patients in the fall. So I'm going to do like a six week lifestyle medicine one-on-one group group uh, shared medical visit with them. And my goal there is just to show them that, look, you don't have to radically change your lifestyle. It's the simple things that you can do every day, like, you know, incorporating even like a few more minutes of movement, you know, eating more anti-inflammatory whole foods, um, adding some breathing, like these things will all improve the symptoms that you are dealing with like pain and fatigue and low energy levels and anxiety, so much anxiety about the future. Right. Um, and if, you know, things like our lifestyle can like simple things in our lifestyle can treat these symptoms. And that means I won't have to give them prescribe a medication that then is going to come with another side effect that then they're going to need another medication to treat the side effect. And so ultimately, like oftentimes I feel in traditional palliative care, I end up reducing quality of life sometimes because you know you're kind of the only option you have is medications and medications come with side effects um so and that's you know i i we see that all the time it's like now people i think to shift like people in the last like 10 to 15 years of their life even though people are living longer they're um sorry even though they're living longer they're they're suffering
um, they're they're living lives of severe debility in and out of hospitals and um, medications and all sorts of things like that. And so I think um, this is such a loaded question. So there's so much to share here, but like I think to successfully integrate lifestyle medicine into palliative care, there's a few things like we need to understand what palliative care is um, and lifestyle medicine, of course, so that we can get more like upstream consults and ways to like incorporate it um, for doctors to, you know, be able to get reimbursed and all of the, all the things, right. The system stuff. But I also think as a society and in medicine, we need to like shift our thinking on how we define a serious illness, right? Because it's the silent killers and the early stage diagnoses that are a serious illness. A serious illness is not just stage four cancer or end stage heart disease, which is when you call me, it's, you know, the 30 year old who, has diabetes and high cholesterol and high blood pressure, you know, in the next 20 or 30 years, that's what's going to lead to the stroke and the end stage heart disease and all of those end stage problems that's going to lead them to a doctor like me. And so, you know, I think my message to people is recognizing that like these, these, um, it's not normal to have high blood pressure and high cholesterol. Like these are the things that if you can nip it in the bud, you can live not just a longer life, but a healthier and more fun and enjoyable life. Um, so, you know, I, I think lifestyle medicine in palliative care is not for everybody. You know, a lot, a lot of times we end up seeing people, by the time I get called, like people are actively in the last, you know, hours to days of their life. And so that's not the right time to bring it up. But I think if we can get called earlier on in the disease trajectory, um, I think there's a lot that we can offer. Yeah. Ugh. I'm so grateful for your work and for you sharing that. And um, yeah, it just brings up all kinds of thoughts and feelings and questions. But one of the things I was thinking about as I was crafting these questions for you is how you've already talked about this, but how being in your profession has inspired you and motivated you and prompted you to share more about lifestyle medicine. So whenever you are seeing some of these patients, which I'm assuming some of them, like you were saying, if they're coming hungry for change, they may decide they're gonna do everything possible. So they may decide to go all the way in. Obviously there's some that they're still afraid. So just doing some is better than doing none. But how has that made you feel about preventing people from even getting there? And obviously not, we can't prevent everything because we're human it's life, right? But there's so much that we know based upon research, 80 to 90% of chronic disease is preventable. So how, how has that changed the way you think about just disease in general? What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. 
Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. I often find myself, especially right now in this stage of my career, like trying to figure out like what I want to do um, because I have all this knowledge with lifestyle and my pre, like my pre-viver, like my BRCA one journey and all of that, like there's like this whole world that I need to like tap into to serve and impact these people before they get to what I see every day. But then at the same time, I'm so good at what I do in palliative care and, um, and the things that I learn every day from these patients is so incredible and life-changing that like, it's almost hard to walk away because even just the lessons learned there are so important to share. You know what I mean? Cause that also, that also will change the trajectory of people's lives. Like I have such a unique perspective. Like it's so drastic, like on my days when I work versus my days I don't work and the conversations that I have, right? Like on 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 one day I'm like talking to a patient and his whole goal and hope and wish and dream in life is just to be able to walk to the bathroom on his own. Or I had a patient, she was like in her thirties and she had stage four cancer and like, she was diagnosed six weeks after giving birth to her first baby. And I took care of her uh, in and out of the hospital for symptoms for about six months. And for the six months that I took care of her, the only thing that she would talk about is like, sorry, it's so hard to talk about her without um, getting emotional. But like the only thing that she would talk about is like, wanting to give her baby a bath. And so like we would come up with so many different like ways and like as her disease progressed, it like went to her brain and she started losing function of her arms and her legs. And we would come up with all these like funny ways to give her baby a bath, like, you know, put water in a little like, you know, round little tub and put it on the couch and she's sitting there and the husband, you know, just like finding ways for her to just bathe her baby. You know, like those are the things that like, people talk about when I'm working. And then in my everyday life, people are like, oh, I want to start a multi-million dollar business and I want to travel the world and I want to eat all this yummy food and I want to go out to restaurants and have fun with my family and go to Disney World. And just like, it's so crazy how vastly different it is. And what is the, what is the, um, the difference between the two lives of these, these populations? And that's health, right? And so it always reminds me, I like bring up this quote so often that like a healthy person has like a million dreams and a sick or dying person has one. And that is to be healthy. And so I always say like, life is too short to suffer. And the antidote to that suffering is our lifestyle and our mindset. And that your health is the primary vehicle to every single dream and wish and want that you have in life. And so you need to fuel that first so that you can stay healthy enough to live the life that you dream and not end up in a situation where, you know, you're just, your biggest dream is to do the basic thing that most of us don't even think about when we wake up in the morning because we take it for granted, to be honest, you know? Whoa, that was powerful. That was like literally mic drop. I think we just need to end (laughs) the episode. (laughs) 
that was that took my breath loaded that like literally took my breath away the difference is health the antidote to suffering is lifestyle and man's mindset i mean that's so true and obviously we're not undermining or judging any of these goals because that's what happens in life we get to certain stages and it changes our outlook and our possibilities and our potential but what you're saying is as humans we all have so many dreams and goals and wishes and desires we we want to live our lives to this maximum potential and sometimes what stops us is what we don't realize is some of the choices we're making so at the very least getting that information out there and for those people that they just want to live the life and be an example because just like you were saying earlier sometimes that's all you need to do you just need to be the example you shine your light you just project this beautiful vibrant light it attracts people to you then they come curious instead of feeling, you know, intimidated or feeling defensive about it. But that, that is so powerful. And what a gift, what a gift, Dr. Malhotra, that you have this so that you can be reminded every day of the gratitude we have in our lives of these things that we take for granted, just being able to get up in the middle of the night and go pee. Cause I do that like three times a night. Thank God I could do it on my (laughs) own. Otherwise I would definitely be having to have other, other arrangements. Cause yeah, that would not work well. So, so thank you for that. That, So I mean, that fueled with like my own experience just totally changed my perspective on, like you said, the gratitude of just waking up and being able, like when you tell people to have a grad, like gratitude practice for me, when I'm coaching people, I'm like, don't think about the house you have or the car you drive, like simply you know, if you're waking up and you're putting your feet and they're touching the ground, today is a beautiful day because you're above ground and your feet are working and, you know, you're able to breathe without pain and ease. And uh, so it's it's like the literal, little, little things in life um, that really bring out like the beauty in it when we realize that we're able to do all of this without even thinking about it and that we were given this gift of life without doing anything to earn it, you know? Oh, Oh, yes. Oh, so beautiful. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about your journey with the BRCA1 gene. So you call yourself a cancer previvor. So I I hadn't actually heard that term until you were, you've been okay. writing about it and talking about it. So can you explain to us what that means and tell us a little bit about that journey? Yeah. So there's um, a few definitions. So obviously cancer survivor, most people know someone that has been through cancer. A lot of people now call themselves survivor thrivers. Um, And so they're either living with cancer, getting treated because some cancers are actually more like long-term diseases. Now Uh, people can live a long time with certain cancers. So they, they can be coined thriver survivors. Now previvors are people who like me have a known genetic mutation um, that basically some people choose just to do screening, like really aggressive screening. And some people choose to do, um, you know, preventative or prophylactic surgeries um, to reduce their risk of cancer. Um, And so uh, I, so just for, I don't know if I said this earlier, but basically to understand my rationale and my thinking, let me explain this because sometimes people get caught off guard when I share what I did. Um, So 
the average woman has a 12% lifetime risk of breast cancer. So by the time they're in their 70s, um, and I believe it's less than 5% risk of ovarian cancer, if I'm, if I'm uh, remembering correctly. As someone who carries a BRCA1 genetic mutation, with coupled with my family history, which is my mom's a two-time breast cancer survivor. She was diagnosed first time at the age of 33 when I was 13 years old. Um, and on top of that, the youngest person in her family, I believe, was in her 30s when she was first diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And in total, there have been 10 women on my mom's side of the family with either breast or ovarian cancer, and six of them have since become uh, angels. Um, but um, for me, with that family history and my known genetic mutation, um, I have an I had an 87% lifetime risk of breast cancer and a 50 to 60% risk of ovarian cancer. Wow. So when I got that news at 26, I was flabbergasted. Um, <laughs> it was it was a lot because at that point the doctors were like, "Listen, like your mom was 33, so you should have started screening when you were 23." I I didn't because I didn't even know about the mutation at that point um, because when my mom was initially diagnosed at 33, uh, she had gotten genetic testing and it was negative at the time. But since then, we've come so far in understanding genes and learning new genes and all of that stuff. So when my, um, one of my family members was diagnosed with, uh, ovarian cancer when I was in residency. And that's when I told my mom, like, you need to get tested again. Cause there's something there. This isn't right. Um, and maybe you'll resonate with this. I'm, I come from an Indian background, so we don't talk about cancer. We don't talk about disease. We don't talk about like everything happens behind closed doors. So it was very difficult for me to like peel back all those layers of like understanding who had what, when they had it and putting together my family tree. And so basically my doctors were like, look, you need to have surgery before your, well, not you need to have, we would recommend based on our experience that you should have your prophylactic surgeries before the age of 33, which is when your mom was first diagnosed. So, um, basically I was 26, I was just about to get married and, um, my, I wanted to get tested before I got married. So my husband knew what he was getting into. <laughs> um, and so we did that and we got married and then basically we had two kids. So then I, I was finishing residency, starting fellowship in hospice and palliative care, had two kids within 18 months apart. Um, working full-time as a new doctor, all of that happened. And that brought us to like 2020, uh, which was just the year before I turned uh, 33. And so at the height of COVID in September of 2020, I had a bilateral uh, mastectomy uh, without, I chose not to have reconstruction. And then I also at the same time had a total hysterectomy um, and oophorectomy, which means I got my ovaries out uh, to reduce my risk of um, ovarian cancer. So I put myself into surgical menopause. I'm now on an estrogen patch um, to, you know, protect my brain bones and my, my heart. Um, but I chose, I, I didn't necessarily have to have the, the, the um, ovaries out, but I chose to just because I, again, my perspective on life is just so different. Like I care, I have cared for people at such a young age with ovarian cancer and I, such young ovarian cancer patients, uh, people in my family. And so for me, it was like, if I chose not to have the mastectomy, it would have made more sense because at least I could screen for it with ovarian cancer. There's no screening and no reliable screening yet, at least. And, um, and there's, um, you know, most times ovarian cancer is found late stage. So the anxiety of it 
was too much for me to handle. And I probably would have had to leave my job if I was gonna uh, not do that. So I decided to just get it all out. So now I think my risk is like, I don't know, less than 5% of both. Um, and I am, yeah, I, since then I have just really focused on my lifestyle and, um, cause you know, at the same time, it's like, I'm a genetic mutation carrier. I'm at risk of these certain cancers, but I'm still at risk of heart disease, which is still the number one killer, you know, in the population and, you know, all of these other medical problems. And so I, my, my lifestyle is still like the pivotal piece that I have incorporated in my life to reduce my risk of not just cancer, but all the other uh, killers that we're dealing with today. And that basically like started me on my journey of like entrepreneurship. And um, I got board certified in lifestyle medicine. I became a health and wellness coach. I did culinary coaching and like all this stuff, uh, a lot of personal growth things uh, over the past two years. Last year, I launched um, uh, a platform to coach one-on-one -on -one coaching for women um, to help them optimize their lifestyle and their mindset and, and help them regain like autonomy and well-being and confidence and all the things that I felt I had lost at one point in my life and to kind of show them that there's a bridge that they can walk so that they don't have to have as much pain and anxiety as I had going through it and figuring it out on my own. So um, now I'm trying to just figure out what it, exactly I'm doing with that because I'm realizing I'm wearing way too many hats <laughs> in my life right now. Oh my goodness. What so, a journey. That's where we're at. I mean, wow. I, I can't imagine the hours and hours and hours you've spent contemplating it, thinking about it, dealing with it, you know, all of these things, just thinking about your journey, what you've been through, and then taking that and all that you've learned and applying it so that you can help ease the journey of other people. That's true beauty. That's true beauty. That's true generosity. And so again, I'm so grateful for you and everything that you're doing. And now for a very important message. Hey mama, if you are feeling frustrated about mealtime battles, worried that your child isn't eating enough or eating enough vegetables, afraid that your child is going to get some awful deficiency or disease because of the lack of diversity in their diet, I wrote a book that might be for you. A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy is available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. Did you know that most children are born with the innate ability to eat the appropriate amount of food to satisfy their hunger and support appropriate growth? Despite this, parents are still anxious and confused about how much and what to feed their children. In addition, many children are labeled as picky eaters or develop behaviors such as hiding and sneaking food. There's also a growing epidemic of dieting behaviors and eating disorders beginning at alarmingly young ages. In my book, you'll learn the five pillars of healthy eating, how to apply intuitive eating through all the stages of development, lifestyle habits that support healthy eating and body image, troubleshooting and problem solving for picky eaters, overeating and dieting behaviors, how to create and foster a healthy body image in your children, how exploring your own body image and relationship with food will help raise an intuitive eater and what foods to offer your child at different stages of development. 
A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy, available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. Are you ready for a fresh approach to feeding your child? For more information, visit dryami.com forward slash book. And now back to the episode. But gosh, I can't even imagine you've been through so much in such a short amount of time and learning that diagnosis of having that gene mutation in your 20s when we're just like literally just, I mean, I didn't feel like I was an adult till I was like 30. (laughs) It's like you have, there's still so much growing and evolving and you're just learning to embrace life and become yourself. So, so I, I, you know, send you all the love and positive energy for everything that you've been through. Thanks, Dr. Yami. I'm definitely an old soul. I mean, I, I'm 35, but I'm definitely an old soul because I, uh, like most people in their 30s, just don't resonate with me. My husband's 10 years older than me. It took me forever to find a guy because like between dealing with cancer when I was so young with my mom getting diagnosed and then like, you know, going to med school and then doing palliative care and now all of this, it's just it, like, a, it's a lot of life to process and learn from and experience to learn from. And so actually a lot of people in my life are older, but um, people say I have an old soul. (laughs) Nice. I love that. Well, um, I'm going to skip forward because we're running short on time, but I have to confess that for the past, like probably three or four weeks, I have been obsessed with near death experience testimonials. So (laughs) I've just been watching everything I can. And it's just something that I feel helps my spiritual journey and where I am in my stage of life. But I would love for you to give us what lessons you've learned about being a doctor for people at the end of their lives. And if you have any interesting things that you've seen or witnessed that might help us all on our our spiritual journey and what comes after this life, I'd love to hear those too, if you have some time. Oh man, Dr. Yami, we're going to need like a part two and three. <laughs> I, was, I was actually already thinking that. <laughs> we might have to come back for this say. one. Just give us a tiny, to give us a preview. Uh, well, so, you know, it's interesting because we were kind of talking about this earlier, right? And it's kind of like, I feel, especially in the Western culture, um, I feel like we link success and happiness so much to our productivity when what you realize when you're talking to people you know who are transitioning to the end and to the next life like that their work and their productivity and the material things they owned you almost never hear them talk about those things and so you know when you think about like the most common regrets that people have shared it's always surrounding like I wish I spent more time with my family. I wish I didn't work so much. I wish I spent more time doing the things that lit my soul on fire. And I I wish I was able to just be who I am. And I I wish I didn't hide myself. I wish I didn't live a life that other people designed for me. Um, You know, and so I, I feel like when it comes to like lessons learned there, it's just like, like, I feel like our life is like a triangle and there is, you know, our, our relationships, our health and our career. Um, and so much of this society is heavy focused on our career. Um, and what I've learned is that like on, on the road to that, like 
you know, running up the corporate ladder, it's like you're either sacrificing two things, either your relationships or your health. And in the end, those are the two things that people yearn for the most is like, I wish I took better care of my body. I wish I lived the life that I dreamt of living. And then I wish I didn't, you know, I wish I had a better relationship with my siblings or with my children or like the, I can't even tell you the number of times that my incredible social workers have like called like the police to help us find people so that we can rekindle relationships so that people can apologize and say, I love you and all those things before they pass, because that's what's more important to at that time. Like it's, it's crazy. Cause I feel like we all know that. Like we do deep down inside. Um, and I think we just need to be more intentional about applying that to our our lives so that, you know, I always talk about the rocking chair test. Like when I'm 90 years old and I'm rocking in my rocking chair, hopefully with my husband, who's 100. <laughs> I hope, you know, we look back on our life, like, you know, did well, we can say something like, you know, the hard days were really hard and life threw us a lot of curveballs, but like, man, the good days, they were, they lit our soul on fire. Like we, we enjoyed our children. We enjoyed each other. We prioritized our family. We created so many memories and we experienced life. We experienced the world and, you know, I, I, and, and just kind of asking ourselves, like, did we live the life that we wanted to live? And that's one of the biggest things that I'm doing now is like, I've, I've done a lot of personal growth stuff in the past few years. And it's just like, every time I'm called to an opportunity, I tell my, I, I think about the rocking chair test, like, okay, when I'm sitting there, will I have wanted to do this? And if the answer is yes, then I tell myself, okay, Simran, right now you need to do the opposite of what you would normally do. And just doing that in the last four years has, has, transform my life like my relationships my career like everything so I think there's a lot of ways like life is going to happen to everybody circumstances you know all sorts of curveballs but I think no matter what life throws your way I, I think what I've learned and this is really going to translate to a beautiful life when you look back on it at the end is that we always have the ability to choose what we're going to focus on. So what's wrong is always available, but so is what's right, right? And we are the sole people who are in charge of the meaning that we give to our circumstances, the good and the bad. And everyone is going to get both, right? So the story that we create is either going to keep us in the past or help us keep moving forward. And then, you know, we get to decide what action or inaction we're going to take next, which is ultimately what's going to design our life and our quality of life and um, create the life that we want to live. You know, that mindset has been transformative. Well, given all of that and all you've said, all that you've experienced, <laughs> what do you wish more people knew? I think just that, I mean, it's just, it's, it's keep it, you know, it's kiss, right? Keep it simple, silly. Like it's the everyday things the everyday habits and the everyday thoughts. Um, maybe Mahatma Gandhi had a quote, something like that, right? Like our, um, the, our thoughts become our feelings, our feelings become our actions, our actions become our life and our quality of life. So if you're somebody that's like trying to 
improve a relationship or trying to change your lifestyle or eating or movement or trying to improve your mindset. Like start with one little thing and improve on that every single day. And by the end of the year, you'll see massive change, even if you try to improve by 1% every single day, you know? And I, and I think to not to completely change subjects, but you asked the really important question about like, what's next? I think a lot of times there's a fear around death. Um, and what I find is that the people who have a spiritual practice of some sort or a religious practice of some sort, um, and the people who feel that, you know, and again, this is more for our elderly people, right? Like they feel like they left their legacy, their children are taken care of, everything is good. Like they're more at peace. They're ready to like go on to whatever is next. I think this is like a very challenging thing to talk about in a few minutes for younger people because it's they still have so much more life to live, especially if they have young children. So it's definitely not easy when, when you're dealing with younger people uh, near the end. But I think one thing that I've seen and science is just starting to understand this. Um, and I've, I'm also fascinated by near death experiences. Um, I just finished, uh, like a few months ago, finished reading dying to be me by Anita Mujani, which was like fascinating. Um, and it's also changed my practice in palliative care. Like now, if there's a patient in the ICU on a ventilator, I will never have a family meeting in the room. Like I will take them to a conference room because like, you don't know what that person is hearing and hearing is always the last sense to go. Um, so I think one of the really cool things that I've experienced like physically is watching people from all walks of life, color, religion, race, age, like near the end, they start to hear and see people that they know that have already passed on. Some people talk about a light. Some people talk about like, you know, my, my grandfather, which was like, oh my gosh, like I'm getting like goosebumps. My grandfather, when he was passing, uh, I went, uh, well, my maternal grandfather actually just passed on the weekend, but my paternal grandfather, I went to Canada and I went and sat on his bed and he was just staring at the end of the bed. And by this time I was already working in palliative care. So I was, I just held his hand and I'm like, what are you seeing? And he was like rusty. And Rusty was our childhood dog. And he had passed just a week before uh, my granddad did. And they were best friends. And uh, and then he looked to the other side of the bed and uh, he was like, I was like, what, what do you, what do you, who else is there? Who else, who else do you see? And he was like, darling. And that's what he called his wife, my grandmother. And then I just like kissed his hand and I was like, tell them both I said hi, you know? Um, but yeah, it's just pretty phenomenal to know that this life is just the beginning to something so much more beautiful than I think what any of us can imagine. So instead of being scared to die, like have the courage to live, yes. like see this life as a gift and that opportunity to like take it all in while you're here. Whew. I'm <laughs> speechless. That, that's hard to, to happen to me. So <laughs> rarely speechless. Oh, what a privilege you have. That's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that with us. I, I love that. That fills me up. It And I agree. I almost feel like after watching all these and reading the books and um, there's another good book called After. I don't know if you've read that one. Mm. Super good. Um, I don't feel afraid to die, but I do think it yeah. takes courage to live and oh, make absolutely. those choices. But I feel like when 
we become less afraid of death, we can become less afraid to live and serve and love those around us and just enjoy. What can you choose today that you enjoy because you're here to enjoy, you're here to experience and to share and to love and do all those things in this big playground that we have on this earth. So, wow. Oh, this I love episode, that. This playground. episode is like, wow. Very. Sorry. Ooh, very I tried good. to pack in way too much. Like <laughs> we need it. to have a recap. <laughs> we will. We'll have a part two. But I'm two. writing a book. So oh, that's great. why I'm writing a I book. So you have an excuse to come back anyway. So you'll be back. Yes. Um, okay, quickly, because yes. we're out of time. Do you have a little bit more time? Okay. Yeah, I do. Thanks. Okay. Can you tell yeah, us yeah. a little bit about your morning routine? Because before we started recording, uh, I, I told you, you know, all moms with young kids, I know you don't really have your mornings anyway, so don't worry about it. But you said something really important. So tell me about what you've learned about your mornings and taking that time for yourself. Hey, are you kind of curious about microgreens and including microgreens in your diet, but you're not sure where to start and you're not sure how to do it? I love my Hamama microgreen grower. It's so easy, it's so convenient. So this is how it works. Basically, they send you the kit and it has this little seed quilt, okay? And then you soak the seed quilt in the water and in a few days, you see your tiny little baby sprouts growing and a few days after that, you can start eating them and it's so fun. And you can tell them that you're eating them and they're really happy that you're eating them and your body's really happy that you're eating them. But here's the best part, because I've told y'all before, I'm lazy. So I don't wanna have to use any mental energy that I don't need to. And they send you seed quilts every month. So you don't run out, you can change what seed quilts you want to try. So here's some examples of some of the seed quilts they have. Hearty broccoli, refreshing cabbage, energizing kale, spicy daikon radish, super salad mix. You can even get wheatgrass, you can get culinary cilantro, or even hot wasabi mustard. So there's lots to choose from. They have different flavors. They're so cute and they're health promoting. So you can get a good dose of antioxidants and it's really beautiful. I also use them for garnish when I'm making soups and salads and different bowls. You can impress your guests. But like I said, it's going to be low energy cost on your part and it's actually not that expensive either the other thing that i use from hamama is a green onion growing kit which is really cool because it can decrease your food waste so you buy the green onions and then the little part that has the root the white part at the bottom you stick it in these little holes and then you just put the water in there and it grows and then you can keep eating the same green onions you just go with your little scissors and you chop it off and you put it into your food so if you want to give it a try you've been curious about microgreens and different ways that you can grow your own food, check out Hamama. You can find it in my show notes for a link to get 15% off, or you can go to dryami.com forward slash shop so that you can find the link and get 15% off your first order. Happy growing. Do you love Veggie Doctor Radio, but you're sick of listening to ads? Join the Plantscription. The Plantscription is a monthly membership where you have access to ad-free episodes of Veggie Doctor Radio every week. But that's not all. You also have access to a monthly live Q&A with me and a monthly live book club. You also get access to writings and musings and free giveaways. 
It is such a great deal. Right now, it's only $5 a month to join the Planscription. If you wanna join, go to planscription.substack.com or go to the show notes to follow the link. Join the Planscription today and join me in this plantastic community. Well, I was one of those people, and I know there's going to be like tons of people that are going to smile when I say this because I'm sure it resonates with so many people, especially women who are the caregivers for everybody. Um, for me, it was always self-care is selfish. Like that's just how I always do things um, until I was in that recliner, until I couldn't get up and move, and all of a sudden it hit me like, well, if I can't or do anything, who's going to take care of my kids? all the things that I do right now for everybody that I love, my patients and my family and everybody. And that was the moment in time that was like so pivotal. Like it was like, okay, self-care is not selfish. Self-care is actually my self-preservation. Like if I don't fill my cup, I can't, I can't pour into anybody else's. And so that's where it was like, okay, well, I am a busy mom. I'm a doctor. I have fur babies. I am married to a person in medicine who's extremely busy. We don't have any family nearby. They're all in Canada. Um, and so for me, it was just like, okay, so you've got to be resourceful. Like, you can't say you don't have time because if it's important, you will make time. Um, and so that's where the morning routine came in. Like, hey, the only time I can literally do this because by the end of the day, there's so many tasks to get done before the next morning. The only time that it was possible was the morning. And and so I would say about for 18 months, maybe maybe a, a year to a year and a half, I pretty much consistently from eight the eight-week mark post-op when my doctor cleared me to get on my Peloton. Uh, since then, uh, and that was 2020, for about a year to a year and a half after, I pretty much woke up at 5, 5.15 a.m. every day. And, uh, and uh, at that point, for me, I was like, strength and all that so for me movement was huge at that point um and fast forward essentially i'll just because it's changed right like i've gone through different seasons since then um and what i realize now um which is something that i struggle with forever too is like perfection always held me back like i was always trying to do things perfectly and then i would do them until i burnt out and they would just fall through so for me now like i do not let my perfection progress like progress is number one and so progress and consistency so now my morning routine is not the same every morning it is what it can be on, the, on, on every day and I just do what I can but I do something um, so for me it's a little flavor of three things it's movement of some sort um, and now that I'm in the pause like a big thing for me is strength training so uh, some sort of either aerobic exercise or movement um, and then some sort of like, like, a, like a mindfulness practice. So, uh, and lately I've been playing with my portable infrared sauna, which has been like life changing. So I have that in my gym now. And uh, I, while I'm in there, I do uh, a visualization, meditation, and breath work. So that's like literally 15 or 20 minutes, and then like a 30 minute movement uh, routine on a really good day. On a day where I my body like need to sleep, I'll sleep in and I'll wake up and I'll do like ten minutes of stretching and five minutes of breathing. So you know you can do anything for ten minutes. So even just that is a huge game changer because I know on the days where I don't do anything, I'm more irritable and I'm more like 
patients with my kids, and by the end of the day, I'm just not the fun person that I am when I'm using one morning routine. So for me, I'm like, okay, I can choose to be one of two people, and I always like choose to be like the best version of myself, and that's my morning routine too. <laughs> yeah, ask oh. my children; they'll tell you. <laughs> I love it. No, but it's so important. I love how you said that self-care is my preservation because it's true. I think we, a lot of us, especially from different cultural backgrounds and different religious backgrounds, we grow up feeling like if we do anything for ourselves, it's taking away from other people. But what you're trying to say is whenever you do for yourself, you can give more back. And that's also what I try to communicate to my listeners and those people that are hearing what I have to say in my experience as well, is that the more that we can make sure that we're okay, we can do so much more for everybody else. So it really is a gift for other people when we take care of ourselves. Yeah. It's like turning yeah. that completely around, you know? Yeah. And it's all, it's all about collapsing time, right? Like why wait until life teaches you a lesson? Like why not le just learn from other people's life experiences and their lessons? Like I saw my mom, you know, married at 18, moved across the world from India into a family where she had to take care of everybody, got pregnant at 20 and 22, was a mother, you know, just basically now taking care of the family and then got diagnosed with cancer at 33 and then divorced by 40. And so for me, I'm like, wow, there is so much to learn from her hard life. Like, and she did nothing for herself. Like she had no friends. She had nothing like, and like the day my dad, le like, you know, they separated, it was like her whole world came crashing down. Like, so it's almost like, like you have to create such a foundation for your physical, mental, and emotional health that like, you're not dependent on anybody else for your ability to thrive. Like if you're thriving, then everything else in your world and the, including the people and including yourself will thrive. Um, like I learned so much from my mom and that's, it goes to be the same for like my patients, right? Like there's so much to learn. And so, um, the morning routine is just one way to do it. Not everyone's a morning person, but, um, I think what's important to remember that it's about consistency and even a little goes a long way. Um, and so even if like, you know, my, unfortunately my father-in-law just passed away. So there was a period of time where we were like back and forth to Quebec and I didn't have all of my things and all of the stuff that I normally have. And so just like realizing that even if you go two weeks without it, when you come back, it's going to be so much easier to just jump right back in because you're literally, you're, it's ingrained within you now. Yeah. And it feels so good. And like you said, it translates oh, yeah. into your whole day and just that feeling of well-being is, is just very enforcing as well. Wow, Dr. Malrocha, this has been amazing. <laughs> There's so much more. We could, so many more places we can branch off and talk further. But before I leave, I have you leave us with your last uh, response to my question. If you could just tell us where listeners can connect with you and what services you're offering. And I'll then ask my final question. Um, so I'm most active. I know there's like a hundred social platforms, but I'm most active on Instagram. Um, and it's at, uh, Dr. Simran Um, and then my website is uh, wellness by Um, so right now I'm trying to re figure out my services, um, just because I like, I'm wearing way too many hats right now. So I'm really being intentional and in asking like, what's most important in this season of my life. Um, so I have very limited one-on-one -on -one coaching availability. Um, and I'm in the 
works of creating a, uh, a course on plant-based nutrition, um, the why and the how. So it's like a nutrition culinary program. Um, and then we'll do a group coaching with that. So that's to come. And then I'm also writing a book. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, so you you'll hear more. You definitely need to write a book. I have saved 30 clips so far from our conversation. You have like all these amazing you know, no. ways to say things. So yeah, you definitely need to be writing a book. Very quotable, very quotable. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> Last question. Leave us with your top three foods for cancer risk reduction. Okay. So the number one, I guess for me, it's uh, always like looking at, you know, breast cancer mostly, but like, I think all of these will be for general cancer risk reduction as well. So soy is not your enemy. It is your friend. Um, as long as you're doing whole food soy. So for me, like for my family, we eat lots of edamame, tofu, tempeh, unsweetened soy milk in my coffee. Um, and then the cruciferous vegetables, um, broccoli, broccoli sprouts, um, and then all the berries, like literally all the berries, uh, super rich in antioxidants polyphenols, super good for cancer risk reduction. So we put them in our berries, we eat them on our plant-based waffles, we eat them just like that for a snack. So amla, strawberries, blueberries, raspberries, all the berries. Wonderful. Okay. Soy, cruciferous vegetables, and berries. I have those every single day. So good. Good on your checklist. Dr. Simran Malhrota, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for everything that you've done. This conversation has been amazing. It's definitely leaving me with such a positive, wonderful feeling in my heart today. As I go on to see Aww. patients today, I'll be spreading that. Yay. So just so you know, you're giving, you're, you're producing a ripple effect in the world just by being yes. you. So thank you so much. I appreciate you so much. And I hope that you have Thanks, a Dr. very Yami. plantastic day. You too. Thanks. Hey, veggie lover. I hope that you loved today's episode. Will you take a second and do me a huge favor? Please subscribe to my podcast so that you never miss an episode. You're the reason I'm here and I want to share it all with you. Thank you for listening and have a plantastic day.